Welcome everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Brady. I'm doing another episode of Inner Strength Check. It's been a while. It's been a while. So look, today we're going to continue on with the air quotes stoked series so that's something that was aimed initially at highlighting both things that i'm excited for in various lifestyle domains and things that i'm looking forward to in 2023 if you head back to check out previous episodes there's some around music tabletop and board gaming stuff that i'm excited about alas however look i've been copying a bit of a double tea bag four balls total from the uh deadly duo known as executive dysfunction and mood disorder so yeah look and i think their little slouch of a stepson burnout has gotten a good few elbows in lately so things have sort of things have kind of regressed a bit in terms of that initial stoke that i've been talking about especially applicable to gaming there's a lot of issues with the gaming sector the gaming community and just my sorts of thoughts on gaming in 2023 so this probably is going to be more of a lukewarm take if anything but look like a beautifully choreographed hulk hogan i'm doing my best to emerge from underneath my uh, mental health demons and you know get at least one solid pile driver in on those bastards leg it up on the ring a bit and catch my breath so look it's felt a bit forced to do episodes by myself and i'm quite prone to as i've mentioned in most other episodes some overthinking about things but i figure sometimes you're better off to just force it at least initially rather than you know wait for a muse that isn't coming i initially planned for this episode to come out as more of a perspective in say january it's legitimately taking this long just to get past all those kinds of self-criticism goblins the exhaustion elementals and the neurodivergent nel thagu uh, that's a brain collector i threw that one in just to sound good anyway i'm glad to be back up on my feet hell yeah brother so this is probably going to be a long one and a few housekeeping pointers about the podcast itself before i get started so in terms of socials so in terms of getting in contact with me around the podcast you're probably easiest to contact me either on facebook messenger or via my blog email info at innerstrengthcheck.com instagram's been driving me a bit batshit insane and i'm kind of turned off of it to be honest but i am there i am also looking for people to interview i would love to have people hosting eve i kind of continually beat this drop the podcast but i'm looking for a very wide swath of people it can just be that you're excited about a band or a topic something to do with an activity you enjoy outside of work maybe your hobbies have become work maybe work has become a hobby health professionals all sorts of stuff we're pretty broad strokes here as long as it vaguely intersects with interests passion leisure doesn't have to be mental health related although that is obviously involved if you're interested something else i wanted to sort of raise too is that so much has happened in the world of big tech even while writing for this episode i mean look at reddit twitter i could go on all day about them but i think a lot of the issues that plague the tech industry specifically with a move towards more walled garden ecosystem they're calling it that's definitely being felt in gaming and i think that leads to all the issues that we'll be describing today bit of a loose performer of this episode so we're going to kind of go through the overarching context of the gaming industry in 2023 what are the main sorts of things with the industry have a look at some of the factors with the gaming community then we'll zoom into my relationship with gaming in 23 and possibly why this one's a bit more of a lukewarm take than a fully stoked series then maybe some issues around gaming that sort of thing but we're gonna do a bit of a nice shit sandwich try and give you a bit of a bit of a nice crust at the end 
In terms of the context of gaming in 2023, let's start off with the industry itself. Let's zoom out to the sort of largest peripheral edges of gaming. It really was a struggle to find some articles that encapsulate the actual state of the gaming industry in 2023 without running smack bang into all the crypto and investor rhetoric filled articles. But I think it's important to first look at the economic growth and the omnipresence of this exploding industry. It's just, we need to understand the evolution from this maligned fringe dweller hobby in the 80s, 90s and onwards to this now more socially normative and accepted medium. I think prior to the forced isolation of 2020 and 2021 for obvious reasons, video gaming was already inexorably a part of our daily lives. Now it's essentially a given in this fractured, what are we style Tinder relationship to our ever more uncertain, still pesky COVID filled kind of pandemic kind of not world. I think the day and age of digital entertainment has only accelerated and recent events have sort of spurned that on. And although we're outside of the, the the nexus of the worst of the pandemic and our reaction to that, I think that's left a lot of us kind of languishing in a space where we often don't have the energy to go out and do as much and things like video games and TV become comfortable. It's to the point that video gaming itself, it's, it's so visible, it's so often spoken about. I found it hard to engage in this realm of all things leisure without feeling like I'm flogging a dead horse because I think video gaming is so ubiquitous and so not niche. I just feel like I'm kind of flogging a dead horse, which I think was also a bit of a barrier to recording this episode in the beginning, to be perfectly honest. Numbers go up means capitalism goes yay. And boy, have those numbers up in the gaming sector. And as something becomes more prevalent economically, it then becomes more prevalent culturally and the other way around. So I'm gonna take a bit of a quote here for some market analysis data from uh, an organization called Grandview Research. Quote, the global video game market size was valued at USD 195.65 billion in 2021 and is expected to expand at a compound annual growth rate, there's your economist talk, at 12.9% from 2022 to 2030. is in technology and continued innovation in both hardware and software to enhance the real-time running of graphics are expected to drive the growth of the forecast proliferation of smartphones growing in internet penetration rate and the easy accessibility of games on the internet are expected to contribute to the growth of this market look there's a lot of metrics a lot of data in the article but they basically said that mirroring what i said before so they their statement is that they maintaining such stratospheric momentum was bound to prove challenging as lockdowns lifted throughout and the negative effects of the pandemic began to be felt nevertheless by the end of 2021 the industry had still managed to grow by seven percent topping out approximately usd 103 billion dollars so even with the kind of refractory post-lockdown people going outside and experiencing life again, quote unquote slump, still managed to have a growth of 7%. And within 7% of hundreds of billions of dollars, that's a lot of money. They sort of, they cap it off by saying that by 2025, we predict that the industry will grow to 3.5 billion players and generate revenues of US 211 billion, which means continued growth. So it's just exponential, 3.5 billion, fuck me. It wasn't too long ago that 3.5 billion was almost everyone on earth. I mean, imagine a world completely 
populated by gamers. <laughs> I say I shudder and I am a gamer. So what's driving this momentous shift in profits? I mean, aside from the obvious influences like access to technology, the impact of a couple of years time forced indoors, a shifting relationships to media in general, the ease of accessibility. Another good source uh, by a company called Hitberry nails it on the head. Consumption habits in other forms of entertainment such as film, TV and music have dramatically shifted in recent years away from ownership, whether physically or digitally, or adherence to scheduled programming. Subscription services such as Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus and Spotify have transformed those industries with content now, more often than not being streamed live from the cloud via vast server farms and data centers. While similar impacts are starting to be felt in gaming, given the medium's unique properties, it's more likely that subscription services in the cloud will supplement traditional gaming hardware than replace it completely. Well, for an Aussie with shit internet, that's not the greatest prospect. But look, it's unsurprising. We have this culture of product as service. I mean, look at trying to consume TV media now has become cable. You know, there is so many subservices like Disney, Netflix, Paramount. It's just more heads on the Hydra just keep popping up. Similar deal with Spotify. And I think product as service is something that I'd like to touch on because I do think it actually does relate to number one, how we engage with hobbies, but number two, with our mental health for better or for worse. But look, we're moving away from this traditional reliance on a singular digital product. You see things like EA Play, subscription models for specific platforms, that sort of thing. But I think as the choice paralysis builds in these glutted markets stuffed full of more easily produced content, there was this sort of time where a gentle size of a one size fits all streaming services just offered this nice kind of reprieve. It's a bit of a cognitive heuristic, which is a bit of a shortcut, a bit of a just look, you don't have to trifle through this and try and do your budgeting and buy all these individual products. Here you go, chuck it on your credit card once a month it's all yours. So see, for instance, Game Pass. So look, we can't talk about an industry with such explosive growth without moving the lens into a little bit more of a contentious space, I guess. And that's the gaming community writ large. What does it mean to be playing video games in 2023? So talking about community now, it's definitely something less archetypal than say what it meant to be a gamer in the 90s and even the late 2000s. I mean, back then, at least when I was in high school, if you spoke your passion for video in public forums, dude, that's a physical threat. Like that's a no-no. The term gamer was this scoff generating term and it evoked images like that mouth breathing guy. You know, the guy in, who loves Helga and Hale and he's like, <sighs> Yeah, that guy. And look, to be honest, what it means to proudly identify as a gamer since then has kind of gotten considerably worse and more stigmatizing. And further down the track, I think I'm going to elucidate a little bit further on that from my perspective. To put it bluntly, although video gaming is probably my primary non-music downtime activity, I don't think I'll ever feel comfortable identifying as a gamer. So it's interesting, right? Because we've got this persistent stigma and... There's been some pretty problematic shit that's happened in the last few years that's kind of seen a resurgence in gamer being a, kind of an icky label. But yet, despite that, we see more and more f whole families and communities adopting gaming practice without hesitation, which is really interesting, I think. So, like, the cultural perception of video games, that's transformed over time. I mean, once it was seen as a niche pastime, so it's it's evolved into this legitimate form of entertainment. It's worth billions of dollars, as I've said. And that kind of blurs the lines between what's a gamer and what's a nonna. So even in that context, like, self-identifying as a quote-unquote gamer, I don't think it holds the same significance or exclusivity it once did most people I know my age are either familiar with playing or have played games it's not this kind of separate thing it's it's much harder almost to avoid it 
perception of gaming as this more mainstream activity, I think it leads to a decline in the need for individuals to label themselves as gamers. And going off the point of what's happened with Reddit, what's happening with Twitter, those sorts of things, as the walls close in on the internet itself, there's less onus for people to be kicking around in specific forums and subreddits. Historically, we think about the term gamer and it conjures up these images of socially isolated, you know, spending countless hours alone in a dark room. It's become more mainstream. I think there's more diversity within the gaming community across all sorts of demographics, genders, age, background. It becomes increasingly difficult to define gaming within that young white male stereotype. I think negative associations with the term gamer have sort of begun to erode, but not quite. That leads me to my next point. I mean, another contributing factor to the sort of ickiness around what is the prevalence of toxicity in gatekeeping that still persists in some gaming communities. I mean, I'm not going to delve too far into this because I really don't want to, but there's still, unfortunately, a lot of harassment, misogyny, exclusionary behavior in the gaming landscape. And I think there is an increasing demand for more inclusive communities, which has poo-pooed that sort of behavior, but not entirely. And I think... Another thing that is really interesting with a Guardian article from January 2023, they're talking about game types that once considered niche themselves are becoming much more important going forward. So uh, lots more sort of Lucy Blondel from Wholesome Games says, for example, a thirsty market for cozy games. That's an interesting sentence. So I believe I'll see more of this in 23 with specialized curation and streams. Yeah, we have a lot of economic uncertainty, a lot of generational change and a lot of diverse platforms. The whole concept of genre is something that the Guardian posit as something that's eroding itself. So their quote is, the notion of genre can be considered as a way of grouping works within a medium to market to people so that they're buying things that are similar to something they already like, says designer and consultant Will Luton. But as access to content is now so cheap and easy in music, movies, TV and games, the need for genre starts to break down exacerbated by influences and algorithmic delivery that can be more accurately uncover good content that you like don't entirely agree with that last sentiment and we'll go into that in a minute. It's an interesting point, like we've had a lot of diaspora in the gaming community. Things were historically centralized through major MMOs, World of Warcraft, Title like COD. Those were sort of the main kind of cultural mainstays in the gaming community. Almost everyone was playing on XYZ. But as we start to branch out into more sort of private spaces like Discord, there's a lot of changes in even the way that gamers communicate. Public chats are often dead, like internal public chats in games, where Whereas if you go onto some gaming-specific Discord communities, they're quite vibrant, but there's also quite a lot of cloistered gaming spaces. So I feel the overarching point of that is that gaming, there's more specialization and yet there's more, in terms of the gaming community, it feels more specialized but also more amorphous. And the idea of gamer as a marker of identity is sort of becoming increasingly nebulous and relevant, but also still problematic. So I think that's kind of an interesting distinction there too. So what about my relationship with gaming in 2023? I'm gonna frame this around a couple of things. So first we're gonna look at it from a mental health point of view, because I think before I get into being too much of a cynical prick, think we need to bring it back mental health and how you know obviously mental illness that sort of thing can put a less than favorable spin on things in general and I'm a bit of a cynical prick up until recently for me like the energy and the attention that's been demanded by shifting into my new role in a really challenging environment I'm actually really loving my new job holy shit it is full on 
I actually am of the opinion that I feel like I, until very recently, the post-lockdown period, I think it's had more deterioration for me than the lockdown period. And I think we tend to forget distress that adjusting back to this strange, going back to before, what are we? Are we in a relationship or not with this bug or with the world? It's this weird new normal. And there's so much weighing on our generation. I'm not even going to go into it, but obvious suspects, you know, labor market, housing, all the downward effects on well, everything, logistics, supply chain, healthcare. Is this a product of my own psychological factors? Is it is it industry? Is it option paralysis? Or is it all the above? Look, I think for me, in terms of how my mental health has changed. So I'm no stranger to experiencing episodes of depression and anxiety, those sorts of things. I've always had this background drive and hedonic need. And I think that possibly the ADHD pain that's always seeking the dopamine, no matter how fucked up I feel otherwise it's actually things had recently progressed to a point where even that had sort of shut off so we're going to shamelessly quote off wikipedia here if you don't know what i mean by anhedonia it's a diverse array of deficits in hedonic function which means like seeking pleasure seeking rewards leisure hobbies so you know large part of this podcast reduced motivation or ability to experience pleasure so Early definitions emphasize the inability to experience pleasure, but anhedonia is being used by researchers to also refer to reduced motivation, reduced anticipatory pleasure, so even wanting things, reduced consummatory pleasure, so liking, and even deficits in reinforcement learning. And that makes sense for me. And in the gaming space, that definitely, that's huge. I have very little want for games. Liking, yeah, sure, sure, it's something to do. The anhedonia can be associated with ADHD, so impairments of your dopaminergic and your serotonin function in your can actually result in dysregulating the reward processing pathway so i don't want to give too much of a sub story around all this it's about gaming it's not about mental health and in fact i actually think things are getting better for me bit by bit but i wanted to give some context to me i think gaming at some point was not just a form of entertainment but a little bit of kind of experience avoidance it was a nice way to just sort of shut which is fine like a little bit of dissociation shutting off is healthy i do think gaming is something immersive exciting stimulating and rewarding but I notice, like in stressful times, tend to find that I've got more and more difficulty juggling complexity or keeping my interest in storylines. The increasing time span that's involved in your average game these days. But I think let's bring it to what I'm playing. What I'm playing right now, to be honest, just lots of balloons, Tower Defense Six. I know that sounds lame. It's addictive as hell. It definitely preys on all of your dopamine numbers go up, but that's about what I've had the energy to play. I've been a bit more socially withdrawn. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy for PvP, but I want to switch off from that shit when I get home. I don't want to get onto a game and just be screamed at or get into an argument. So typically I'm quite into co-op games. So Seven Days to Die, Deep Rock Galactic, stuff like that. And I've noticed like that I'm sort of moving more generally towards the, for solo stuff, is the more crafting and sandbox kind of space. And I think that's because my relationship with gaming is changing. I'm sort of using it more as an indulgence after a tough day's work rather than something to get hugely invested in. And I'm honestly just that tired after a lot of work days. So I've been playing very recently. I reinstalled Elite Dangerous. I've also probably in preparation for my trip in August, I've uh, been playing a bit of Euro Truck Simulator. Don't knock it. It's actually 
not bad. Um, there's something very zen about just driving. That's the thing is that what I'm noticing in the gaming space is that a lot of the open world titles and even RPG titles and even non-RPG or non-quote-unquote open world titles are really, they've just moved into that Assassin's Creed Odyssey collect-a-thon, padded out hundreds of hours of content. And I think that I've kind of swung the other way and gone, you know, if I'm going to play something open world, I at least want to do something where I feel like I've got a bit of mastery and control that isn't just collect 100 XYZs. I also think that I've got some hunches about why those sorts of games are popular, both from a neurodivergent point of view and society slash capitalism point of view, but that's that's for another time. So to be honest, I don't have much to offer in terms of what I have been this year. I think there's a few reasons for that. So I feel like there's uh, there's a little paradox of choice and option paralysis now. Steam, oh, don't get me started on Steam. There's been a proliferation on titles on the Steam store, which is great. It's so good good in terms of seeing how many quality indie games are out there. Advances in technology have really allowed indie developers to catch up to and in a lot of cases now surpass and exceed big AAA developers. But what I'm noticing about Steam is that they've become so enamored with the concept of a sale. It's that there is constantly a sale now, you know, you can't open Steam without there being some sort of beautiful, colorful banner. Too many of them, and they're too shallow in discount. I have 200, Jesus, I have 227 games on my wish list. That's ridiculous, right? I won't even talk about my Steam back. I, I think part of this is just a modern human thing, and part of it's probably an ADHD thing, is just go, yep, 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 put it on the backlog, chuck it on the wish list. Because you can. There are many, many titles out there where it's like, you know what, I'd probably dip into that, but I think I need a little bit more of a discount than that. And it's not because I'm a tight ass, it's because, well, let's use the wish list as an example, shall we? Or the discovery queue. Something I'm noticing with Steam is that things will be rated very positive and they might be like, oh, 80% positive. And this is something that I think is useful about the way that they've changed the rating system in terms of the most kind of updated, upvoted or liked reviews whether good or negative, they find their way to the top. And one of the things that I'm really noticing about pretty much everything on my, like I actually, in preparation for this episode, I trawled through my kind of, my Steam wish list. And going back to before, like one of the things I'm really enjoying at the moment is like colony sim games, you know, your rim worlds and that sort of stuff, crafting and sandbox games. I tell you what, every single title I've clicked, doesn't matter if it says very positive, 90% like this, there's always comments up towards the top or even in the positive comments, people saying, yeah, look, this has potential, this has potential, but I'd wait for it. And then ones that have been on the list for a while, you know, there's more and more negative reviews, you know, and, and just says, well, I've waited a year. And this practice is just seen this so many times that I kid you not, I, I think I've actually, other than the anhedonia itself, I think I've actually just developed, learned helplessness about games coming out and being good because some of my most played games like seven days that was mixed that was 50 percent positive and everyone was like don't buy it it's a fucking mess and my mates were like don't listen to them buy it and it's now one of my most played games lots of thoughts there about that one so there even the highest rated reviews there's all these glaring faults and the underlying narrative in each one of them is look this would be good but it's not fully burned it needs to be in the oven for a bit and that's not even applying to like early access titles anymore like a lot of 1.0 releases I'm seeing, people are just like, it needs to cook longer. And don't even get me started on the practice of DLC to cover what is essentially a bare bones game. I mean, you guys all remember Battlefront, right? The new 
quote-unquote new Battlefront and Street Fighter V. Like, there's so many instances where the game is being released, nothing, and then there is this DLC that's actually ricier than the game itself being released. Oh, I gotta start winching. <laughs> but... You know, like for instance, even tutorials, gaming tutorials on YouTube, like they take too long. This is the other thing. Most games I find now require some sort of YouTube walkthrough to kind of grapple my head around. But those tutorials often take too long because the culture is to have a Twitch let's play style to a tutorial. It's I'm seeing fewer and fewer content creators just make quick and up to the point, hey, here's the game, here's how to play it. And that's a barrier for me, you know? There's some good th Reds on there's a subreddit and oh my god don't even get me started on reddit at the moment rest in peace reddit but patient games is an interesting subreddit because i feel like there's a lot of these people in agreements that sort of trying to step back from the marketing hype and that sort of thing and i saw a thread earlier today that was saying indie games the proliferation of indie games are really popular because they're shorter there's fewer cutscenes. they put the action first it's easy to pick up and put down more likely that you'll do new and interesting things and everyone was in agreements around that but i think what people also in agreement is wrong with AAA gaming is that collectathon bloated 110 hours plus model has just become the template like they took you know the Assassin's Creed all those other sorts of series like that's the template yeah it's I got plenty on that but I think we'll just I'll just step back a bit and kind of go into the my more greater issues with gaming in 2023 and why this isn't so much of a stoked series a bit of a lukewarm kind of a response <laughs> So publishers, let's let's start there and look, oh God, could go forever. But the thing that publishers, like, they're often putting out these strict deadlines just to align with the marketing campaigns. Like, you know, look at No Man's Sky, for instance, enough said. Holiday seasons, financial targets, all that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They often, devs get forced to release games prematurely a lot now. And then that leads to a lot of bugs, glitches, and unpolished content. I mean, look at, look at how Cyberpunk started when it came out, right? And it just prioritizes short-term games over long-term satisfaction because if you're a hyped studio say for instance CD Projekt Red and you've got what was it like a few hundred awards that The Witcher 3 won behind you like people are just going to buy that by default and then we've got pre-orders right so prevalence of pre-orders that's fueled the problem a bit more so publishers are always like enticing players now exclusive bonuses early access or special editions to encourage pre-ordering like look at the special edition of Starfield on Steam it's like a hundred $170. Are you kidding me? I'm going to be buying my friend's like beautiful fretless base for like double that. And I know it still sounds like a lot and that's money that I need to save. And this probably sounds like a privileged take, but like two copies of Starfield or a good quality musical instrument, you know, that could be last me years. And you look at the content, it's just, it's the same thing. It, it's art books. This one has, oh, special five day access and I know a lot of that is to help a lot of Twitch streamers get ahead and that's another thing is that it's about fueling that content creation cycle and getting influencers to buy day one or pre-day one so that they can get ahead of the arms race have their content out first and it becomes more about finishing the game or streaming the game than sitting back and having time with it letting it marinate so yeah there's that and 
it's just there's exclusive bonuses blah 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 and then skyrim right let's not even go there but yeah developers often release games like with the knowledge that it is unfinished and then there's this reliance on day one patching and then further patching just to address major issues and again a lot of that is crunch culture and publishers really pushing devs so patches are meant to sort of fix bugs and enhance the gameplay but i feel like there's an over-reliance on them at the moment it's perpetuating a really nasty cycle like we've been made to assume and we act in a way by tolerating it subpar initial experiences like we rely on future updates to get a more polished product and i'm so sick of that like i come from being a 90s kid and you buy a game and if it's unfinished well what the fuck gamers we've gamers we've just become unwitting participants in the development project i read these reviews and it's like this just sounds like feedback for beta testing and that's what being a gamer kind of entails now beta testing not always which is good to see this crunch culture so like look at what's happening to the devs they're subjected to long hours intense pressure to meet these deadlines all that talking about burnout before burnout there you go burnout affects productivity it affects quality of work quality of life which that manifests on the front end for us as consumers with unfinished or poorly finished game because the devs are throwing in the towel they've they're done they cooked I think there's a healthy cynicism in the gaming community. You know, we've got this legacy of disappointments, especially in the last few years. Lots of over-promising, lots of under-delivering, lots of... Don't even... I I left out monetization because I I just don't want to go there. I think it's preaching to the choir. I don't want to go there. It's so frustrating. So, you know, like... Cynicism can be healthy to sort of respond to ongoing letdowns, but like I think it's crucial to balance that skepticism with an open-minded approach and really ask for transparent communication. Ask for delivering on your promises and provide a high-quality experience because, yeah, it's not all doom and gloom, okay? Let's let's flip it. Let's, flip it. let's actually get back to at least being somewhat stoked. It's not all doom and gloom, like video games, they're a low effort, accessible hobby. Like for me, a lot of my hobbies, I look around my room right now and like board games, tabletop, all that sort of stuff, that requires like intensive effort. You're often doing the computing yourself. That's half of the thing, right? And video games just allow, for me, from my perspective, I've kind of similar levels of cynicism and lost faith with all the streaming services and tv shows i just feel like i've been let down often enough there that i'm like this isn't stimulating like i'm restless watching shows where i'm like this is probably going to be mediocre at best and that's just because i'm a cynical prick with adhd but i find that even games that i might slander or think "Eh, it was okay i'm not even going to do an episode of tv content media because it would just be a billion times more cynical than this whereas even games where i'm like ah, oh, it's not finished and that sort of thing even unfinished games though like with the advancements in technology and that sort of thing there is a lot of innovation and creativity in these game design there's all there's new ideas there's new gameplay mechanics there's new storytelling techniques so i actually think even fair to middling games now are really there's a lot of more uniqueness and immersion in the gaming sector I think a lot of that is because indie game development, that's gotten a lot of traction thanks to Steam, Itch, crowdfunding, all that sort of thing. Things like Unity and other engines being developed takes a lot of that back-end pressure off of people wanting to essentially tell a story through the medium of a video game. A lot of indie games explore niche genres, you know, there's a lot of experimentation. 
new mechanics, there's fresh storytelling approaches. So gaming landscapes actually diversifying a lot. And that's something that I am stoked about seeing. There is breadth and specialization, even within various genres. Like go back to management or colony sims before you you go on the Steam page. It's, It's incredible. Quality and diversity of things that are offered there, where it's like a few years ago, that was just RimWorld and bad clones mostly you know i don't know city builders racing and you name it there is so much interesting and diverse content out there and what i'm noticing is that that is seeping into the console market as well as consoles start to technologically catch up to and effectively be a form of computing you're actually seeing a lot of indie development make its way out to the console audience which i think is fantastic because that used to be a very sort of blized system so yeah, there's things like that. And yeah, again, boundaries of tech. Tech is insane right now. I can't imagine what my brain would have done 10 years ago when I saw game now. The level of detail, yeah. And look, there is toxicity, like I said. I think there's been a real cultural push towards fostering more positive and inclusive online gaming communities or just the discourse around. I think people, rather than like game, the average gamer being this Jordan Peterson reading, sweaty, Dorito-encrusted, fucking whatever, I think people are actually actively working to create respectful environments and people are really shying away from douchebaggery with the ubiquity of social media even from five six years ago to today to get away with shit like that people will find your shit you know if you're going to fuck around in the gaming community you're gonna be found out even if you even if you're de-platformed you know it's it's sort of norms within the gaming community do feel like there's a lot of you know it's still got a way to go but i actually feel fairly more positive about the state of the gaming community video gaming community than i did even a couple years ago just from my own point of view like i'm happy to say that i feel like i've made a lot of recent strides in mental health and so i'm finding myself getting a bit more again more more for engagement rather than just using it as like a time sink smoke screen with that i think maybe i'll be less cynical so what about some games that I have enjoyed? I'm just picking out Aeronorth Chronicles. So with the advent of, you know, Slay the Spire and Monster Train, the success of those, tabletop role-playing becoming its own cultural phenomenon, we've seen this real proliferation of deck builders on Steam. Let me at it. I have a bit of a theory about being near a divergent intersects with that, but Aeronorth Chronicles, I mean, there's 3,400 cards in total. There's this incredible amount of build depth, breadth, complexity. That sounds like my worst nightmare on paper, and I bought it going, but I found that richness in customability, like the really deep perk tree systems, it actually meshes well with what's a pretty basic template in terms of the game itself, and there's not much meta-narrative. Basically, you've got this option to jump in, you can fuck around with like ridiculous amount of party and character deck options build options have the opportunity and i think a lot of modern games do this well now especially indie games you've got this nice choice between throwing shit at the wall or in this case cards to see what sticks or if you want you can go completely berserk on min maxing and optimizing and i really like having those options that sort of suit my own kind of differences in mood and fatigue that sort of thing and there's a lot of well-priced dlc for that game that actually adds a huge amount of 
content so it kind of runs even the base game runs sort of tantamount to that and finished so if you can get past a really simple bare bones setting and the pretty generic graphics it's a fantastic game if you love dungeon crawling you love tactical games you love get that shit and going a bit further than that is uh, another game called Wildermyth which I think does everything I mentioned just more about Aeronorth but less depth or in less sheer amount of cards or perks or whatever but there's this really strong sense I've noticed a lot of games like Citizen Sleeper and things like that coming out where they're sort of they're emulating the Game Master or Dungeon Master experience I really feel like Wildermyth helps you sort of feel like you're at a table of people there's a lot of inter-party relationship developments and the procedural generation in Wildermyth and I know your eyes are rolling the hip rock gen but the emergent narrative that comes out in every run it really feels like number one a DM's running the show but also this sense of the party as like a dynamic troop there's a lot of choice in your dialogues and your options between each own party members and there's you watch relationships and conflicts and struggles develop in the party which is one of the strong I think influences for people enjoying social activities like for instance tabletop role playing games typically you have this strong story that bolsters an otherwise static feeling squad as a game a video gamer but Wildermyth just does it so well I mean like your heroes age and change over time they get scars they get new skills they form really other characters and it's this pre-written procedural mix and as you play there's new events characters and story arcs that develop and then you can have legacy mechanics so look I just want to point those two out especially because I've talked a lot about tabletop in this podcast and Wildermyth is fantastic like I'm actually going to go the Armors and Skins DLC and so what are some releases that I'm looking forward to oh man so going back to that wish list so I've just pulled out a few that I really just briefly want to kind of speak to Xenonauts 2 tactical and turn based gaming love it I'm really looking forward to that XCOM's based modeled off of Xenonauts so this is going to be a huge one both for old school gamers and I think a new generation of tactical gamers June Awakening look June has been commodified a bit but I don't mind that it's a bit of a cultural icon I'm hoping that the MMO will be good hoping that it will add to the lore that's been greatly expanded on already with like the current board games or the TVG so that's cool and if it's done well I may get very addicted to that um, there's other stuff like so for instance Sentry it's like a good tower defend first person shooter so if you've ever played Sanctum that's a really nice example of that Alaskan Road Truckers is one look man it sounds lame but don't knock truck sim games till you've tried it like if you want something chill out and zen out to I guarantee you there's almost nothing better I feel weird saying that in a public forum but I was I pissed myself laughing when one of my good friends suggested I play it I was like you, you fucking kidding me nah it's the best chill out after a long day put on some TV in the background they're really good so there's other stuff like Gord I, I love the uh, logo of Gord it looks like a thrash metal band logo but it's sort of a mix between settlement building but then squad or even first person or third down to the player level when those are done good I fucking love that being able to zoom out to the sort of the settlement level and have a bit of progression there and then down in so if those are done well they're going to be awesome yeah and just random stuff like taxi simulator you know <laughs> I'm a little cautiously domestic about Starfield I feel preemptively defeated but I'm just going to choose be cautiously optimistic about Starfield I think we could probably do a whole episode on that once that comes out right Stalker 2 oh man Stalker new Star Wars game Star Wars Hunter The Expanse so Telltale which is funny because The Expanse is a show based on a tabletop campaign and Telltale are now doing a game based on a show so look I guess the thrust of it is at the end of the day there are things that I am excited for in the video gaming space I don't think it's all negative a lot of threads here that probably a lot of you will identify with or agree with or you won't 
inaustraliancheck.com is where this will be posted. Likewise, you, you can have a look at my Twitch, same handle, YouTube, same handle, Instagram. Feel free to reach out.